Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. This is Esports Asia TV live from the Asia Tech Podcast Studio. So today I'm hosting solo again. Uh, Sabir's got an injury, so get well soon. You gotta fix your legs, bro. So anyway, today we are joined by one of the hottest men in esports right now. Uh, he's the CEO and team owner of Team Flash in Singapore, and he is Terence Ting. Hey, thanks for having me in the studio. Andy. Oh no, thank you for coming, man. <laughs> Terence, you are a busy man. Like we've been trying to set a, a a schedule for quite some time now, and finally we're quite lucky that we found today. So thank you for making time. No problem. I'm sure you're busy. Like so, I gotta uh, like let's get this out of the way. Okay. So there was Sports Hub. Yeah. Right. Uh, did you get a good break after that? Like after the dust settles, like what happened after? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the press conference on Friday and you know preparations leading up to that, um, getting the place uh ready for the media and just making it operationally ready. Mm-hmm. Definitely, uh, it was what I was busy with for the past couple of months, mm. and you know the discussion obviously started uh, way back last year. Right. And and it's been ongoing for a while. So. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a busy period, and <laughs> it's not just for Singapore. I mean, um, right. even overseas as well with our expansion plans. Mm. Yeah, but the sports hub definitely is a key uh, piece of our entire right. um, roadmap this year. Right. Right. Okay, so obviously we're gonna get into those, and we're gonna yeah, get yeah. the details out. But let's start from the very beginning, because I'm interested in what you were like when you were brought up as a kid, right? And what led you into diving into esports so maybe just a quick question like what was your first game that you play and okay. maybe share with us like what happened after that sure sure so i've been a gamer my entire life mm. started when i was like in primary school uh, surprisingly i discovered gaming on the macintosh macintosh yeah yeah which wow. is surprising surprising uh, yeah <laughs> and the first game i ever played was uh command and conquer Oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah. S- I I used to see that game, but I haven't really got into it. <laughs> like I was stuck with Counter Strike and yeah. some other uh, genres like Warcraft. Yeah. So Command and Conquer, interesting. Yeah. That was my first game, but I think back then, really just playing out of school, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think gaming was in my blood. Right. Pretty much. Um, I got into the esports community. I would say the official year I got in was probably two thousand and six. What do you mean by official? Yeah, like in terms of like getting involved with the community. Right. Yeah, being more than just uh, someone behind the desktop, mm, you know, getting mm. involved on the ground, creating content. Mm. I was actually a content creator as well when I first right. started out. Um, okay. Yeah, and I, I love to write actually. So, so not, you, you wrote uh, uh, content on eSports back then? I did, I did. Right. I started with a local community website in Singapore that was uh, covering Dota. Right. Yeah, okay. back then it was Dota 1, not even yeah. <laughs> Dota the, 2. The, the Warcraft 3 mod. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, and you know, uh, that brings back a lot of memories. Mm. You know, back then the competitions that were held in Singapore, it was almost on a bi-weekly basis. Right. Yeah, there were so many competitions and so many avenues to compete. And I was attending all these competitions on a daily basis as, you know, I played in some of them. I started out right. as a competitor, you right. know, semi-competitive. I never made it to WCG, <laughs> sadly. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I was very passionate about really just being a part of this mm. amazing, special community that was growing underground, right? And to me, esports is something that has been always been in my heart. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I left esports for a couple of years in uh, 2014, to 2016. Uh, I was in the nightlife scene uh, for those two years. Right. Yeah, yeah. Not, 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 not a lot of people know that, actually. But, right. Uh, it was a key part of my life as well for um, the last four years. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, obviously, you're now a team owner and you're managing teams all over the region, right? Yeah. So, and you, you mentioned your experience was within the games themselves, like Dota. Yeah. So, do you feel that that was the driver that made you, you know, interested into building your own team brand and yeah. what was the process like of thinking about team flash when it was first uh, you know uh, uh, its first inception yeah like sure um so like i mentioned 2006 was really my first year in the local esports, e-sports. community mm-hmm. yeah and then a couple of years later i was very fortunate to get uh, uh, spotted by a international esports team Right. At the as a as a player? As a content creator as well. Content creator as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, okay. So I was doing more of the journalism side. Right. That also explains a bit more why you know, like why I'm more used to the media and speaking to the journalists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've been on that side mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was very fortunate to work with this team called uh, MYM. 
MYM. Yeah, back Damn, in the day. Meet your makers. And that's yeah. the team. Oh, you, you remember I know. That? <laughs> uh, there was this player, Milk. Yeah, that he's was like him. the the player. Like he's a meme now, but he was really good. <laughs> he was. So you were you were uh, approached by MYM back then. I was right. So, so I actually contributed content for about two years. Two years. Uh, I was still okay. working in Singapore, but mm. I was uh, I had a remote position from Singapore, and I think that experience really shaped um my vision in terms of building a team right in our local ecosystem. Yeah. Right. So, okay. Before yeah. we get into Team Flash, sure. I, I want to talk about uh, content creation because that seems to be uh, the buzz in yeah. esports, to be honest. Yeah. Um, because we're interested to get more people to know what esports is, right? Sure. And one way that I feel is a viable path is through content. Because yeah. people identify with content, people consume content every day yeah. and so it's one of the major pieces that needs to be happening in esports right yeah. so you were writing and having gone through the experience in the past few years what do you feel is the best form of content that can uh, accelerate this progress in esports how do you feel about that i think content is very wide Right. Mm -hmm. If you look at content, there's different channels, yeah, different ways to communicate lot. with mm -hmm. different audiences as well. Yep. You know, the way we would speak to our esports fans, our organic fan base is very different from when we're trying to educate uh, a brand mm -hmm. or even the media. Mm -hmm. But to me, uh, the way to get the message out really is through uh, working closely with the media. And that's why, right. you know, we hold a press conference to announce mm -hmm. the official um, launch of the training facility at Sports Hub. To me, it's really about reaching a wider audience. Right and audiences that have a have decision making, uh, that 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 actually have the power to make decisions, mm. right? Yeah, and and to me, it's like content is very wide, but it's really about working with, um, media partners to really bring out the message mm -hmm. further to a mm -hmm. bigger audience. Yeah, and there are many esports media outlets today as well. Right on the international and local scene. Mm -hmm. uh, internationally, mm -hmm. I'm quite connected with, uh, for example, uh, the Esports Observer. Wow, that's yeah. big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are great in. They're doing a great job in Europe. Uh, yep. Esports Insider as well. Shout out right. to Sam from Esports Insider. Yeah. So to me, it's really getting the message out and also, um, you know, raising awareness of esports, particularly in our region. Mm -hmm. because esports globally in the United States and Europe is very big yeah super developed of mm -hmm. course in the United States the sports culture is really huge yep. so it was a lot easier for you to understand mm -hmm. uh, what esports is mm -hmm. even though it may not physically be a sport right uh, that's a debate on its own right yeah. whether esports is sports yeah. but I don't think we can win that debate so I'm not going <laughs> to touch upon that too much yeah, okay. so talking about media the, the, the outlets you've mentioned are uh, sort of a new media channels huh. uh, but we're also trying to get into traditional media yeah right and we've seen this happen we had mark uh <laughs> mark chiu shout out to mark <laughs> uh and he shared about broadcasting deals with national television in indonesia right yeah, yeah. Uh, what's your take on that is that uh is that gonna help uh, uh, like of course it's going to be uh, popularizing esports yep. into more mainstream people right yeah. but is there any other ways it's helping us that we might not see at, at the front right now sure I think um, I look back to the broadcasting potential mm. of esports and uh, in the past in, in, in our history you know it's always been broadcasted on platforms like Twitch yeah, and it's normally over um an OTT platform, mm. right? So it's usually free distribution. Yep, you don't have to pay for the content. Yeah, and sometimes I think there's uh certain paywalls that have been introduced in recent years. Mm. You know, to provide more premium content right. or bundle certain gaming packages. Right. Yeah, but I think overall, um, you know, Mark obviously is a lot more experienced in this side of the traditional media industry. Mm. Uh, but for us, I think we do see that uh, there is a need to engage traditional media partners as well. Mm. Yeah, because even though there is um, disruption in the traditional media space, like print and TV, yep. you know, they are facing declining uh, viewerships, you know, but we do think that eSports has the potential to potentially uh, provide more content mm. in, in the coming years. Yeah, right. and, and for us, you know, Mark being involved in the eSports scene, I think that's a great, uh, mm -hmm. that's actually a great thing because he has a lot of experience in yep. the traditional yep. space yep. and him bringing his contacts over and also that knowledge of yep. how to further increase um, awareness of esports on traditional mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think All that's right, big. yeah. Esports in general, we're obviously going to see more of it this year. 
Yeah. We're going to see a lot more in new media, traditional media, whatever it is. So let's talk about Team Flash. Okay. So you were starting to get into how you, you know, conceptualize Team Flash. But how, how did you come up with the name? Like, did you come up to, uh, with the name before you started or after you started the team? Mm, I think for us, we, you know, I've always thought about having a, like owning a team. Right. And because I'm very passionate about working with the esports athletes, mm. developing them. Uh, not just competitively, but commercially as well. Right. Because I feel that there's a lot of talent in the Southeast Asia region. Yeah, and for us, in terms of the branding of the team, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we we actually sat down and we thought about it for quite a bit. Mm. Yeah. At the end of the day, we settled on Team Flash. I think firstly, having team in the front means something as well. Mm. First we want yeah, it's going to help people identify more easily, right? Yeah. Team Flash, yeah. so they know it's a team. Yeah, I don't feel like there is a standard guideline that there are some right. esports organizations, for example, Evos, shout out to mm. Ivan, Evos Esports, right? Yes. Yeah, I think it's really uh, dependent on the team owner. Right. Right. For us personally, the reason why I called it Team Flash, I believe team comes before everything. Yeah, wow. and th that's one of the reasons why team came before mm -hmm. Flash. But people usually call us Flash. Just Flash. Flash. <laughs> It's like it's much easier, right? No, but yeah. that's the thing though. There are other teams called Flash, right? There are. I mean, have <laughs> this gotten you into any sort of a mis mis uh, misunderstanding? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, right. in, in Taiwan, there's a team called Flash Wolves, uh, very right. well known. In Malaysia, there's a team called Flash Vision. So okay. uh, we are very yeah. aware. <laughs> there's We're, a few flashes here we, and there. We are. Uh, thankfully, there's no team Flash yet, I believe. <laughs> yeah, so we are the only one. I All mean, right. we have looked into the legal uh, mm. part of it as well. Okay, so you're clear. Yeah, with all yeah. that we, right? we should oh be that's clear. great yeah. alright you should be clear Are you? <laughs> <laughs> alright so Team Flash so that's a really great philosophy I like that yeah. uh, team comes before everything yeah. so talking about teams right you obviously as a team owner is interested in a well performing team right you want your sure. team to win in the championships and so naturally your interest would be to get people uh, the, the athletes yeah. who are performing well in the games right yeah so is this a problem in esports, which is mm. scouting for talent? Mm. That's obviously a big thing if you're a team owner or if you're looking to start a team, right? Yeah. So how is the process of getting players into Team Flash mm. and what did go through behind the scene? Sure. I think in the past, you know, the way teams scout for talent has always mm. been less scientific. It's right. really been a lot of like, okay, I'm going to look at Dora 2, who has mm -hmm. the highest uh, matchmaking rating, for MMR. example. Okay. Right, MMR, right? That's the common distinction for Dota. And then for other games, there are similar ranking systems online or inside the game itself. Yep. Right? So it's very easy to look at talent like that and easily like see who is at the top of the rankings. Right. And from there, like, it's very easy to go to the top talent in that country and, hey, do you want to join my team? Right. If it's not contracted, you know, come join me right that's basically how esports started yeah it right? is but mm -hmm. I think it's going to continue to evolve right I think that there will be more uh, signs mm -hmm. in the future mm -hmm. towards scouting mm -hmm. you know if you look in traditional sports um, there are proven models that football clubs use yep. to scout proven talent of course there's never any guarantee <laughs> of course you know but the way that they scout for talent I think there are many other factors that uh, come into it mm -hmm. right uh, for example for us personally we spend a lot of time with the talents that we potentially that potentially are on our radar. Okay. Yeah, and for us, the reason behind that is we actually want to understand more on the values and the character of that person. Right. Whether they can fit into the culture of our organization. Right. And especially if we are looking at a team game, we take a lot more time as well. Mm, because, of course, it's going to take more time. Yeah, yes. it's a very different uh, investment and very different um, thought process mm -hmm. that we go through when we're looking at the team game compared to an individual game right. like, uh, like FIFA for example yeah and it takes a, it takes a long time like it's right. not as simple as people think yeah and I wouldn't say there's anything really truly proprietary at this point right yeah because I think it's really about spending a lot of time in the community mm. uh, knowing the important uh, important community figures in the different markets so like in Vietnam when we first went into that market last year in February uh, we first we didn't look for our team first. Oh, okay. Yeah. We so, what was that first initial goal that you were? I think at? we were looking for what I call like you know a local partner that we could right. trust. Yeah, and someone to sort of lead the country. Okay. You know, and even for media engagements like this mm -hmm. in Vietnam, you know, we tend to use that person as the face of the team. Right. In that country. So it's a sort of a spokesperson for Team Flash. Yeah. In yeah. that country. In right. a way. Yeah. Okay. And and you know that person would have to basically be me. 
but right. in that market. Right. Yeah, that's how, basically how I would put it. Right. <laughs> and, and also, you have to look at the local uh, uh, intricacies, right? Because, uh, of course, in Vietnam, do you speak Vietnamese? <laughs> only, uh, only very minimal. Oh, very <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying so, to pick yeah. it up more. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing, right? If you're trying to expand through the region, you have to look at the locals, right? Yeah. You have to cater to the local audience. And sure. that one, one obvious way is to speak the language. Yeah. And if you don't have the ability yet, then you have to find a face, yeah. right? So this is very interesting. You are basically projecting yourself through that person yeah how do you handle with you know the the trust of mm. you know because they're representing <laughs> you as a person yeah, yeah right and obviously it's not going to be perfectly the way you want it to be sure but how do you handle that you know potential trust issues sure um i think constant engagement is very important um and you know face-to-face -face engagement especially mm. that's why we need to make constant trips you know, uh, yeah, yeah, you you fly yeah. all over the region. Yeah, pretty <laughs> often. Um, uh, to me, it's not so much about micromanaging, but mm. it's more about having that kind of connection to me personally right. and also to the business. And we share a lot on the vision of what we're trying to create. Mm. You know, because there are many esport teams out there. Oh yes. Yeah, but our vision is really um, to me, it's about solving a social problem. Uh, uh you know, gaming as a whole has always been seen as a as a activity that's not been accepted yep. widely by parents, by uh, government and everything. You know? Yeah, especially true here in Southeast Asia, I feel. Yeah. Like uh, in the West, it's been more <laughs> widely accepted, yeah, more yes. easily, I would say. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if it's attributable to the parents. Mm. It might be just that the players themselves are stubborn yeah. enough so that you know, they can easily convince their parents yeah. because, yeah. But yeah, the problem exists here in Southeast Asia. Mm. It's pretty apparent. And I think it's great that you are trying to solve that as a problem and not just, you know, focus on building a brand, becoming a team. Because yeah. that's important, of course. Like, building a brand is great. Yeah. Winning the games are great. Yeah. But there's something that is interesting in the esports industry, which is we are moving together as a collective which is to push esports into the mainstream, into the spotlight. Yes. And get more people to understand what we're doing. Yes. And so that way people will be more supportive, more people would be interested to join and, you know, uh, pursue more opportunities, right? Yeah. And that's what's been happening with Team Flash as well. So let's yep. let's get into that. Like you obviously partnered with Sports Hub sure. Singapore. That's a big thing. Like it's historic to be honest, because then people will see Sports Hub. And they will also see esports within yeah. it, right? <laughs> so, how is it like, like the past few months? What was the uh, point of discussions? What was discussed? And what was the concerns when you were going into the deal? Share with us, Terence. Okay. Um, this conversation started, you know, after we won the first Asian Championships for FIFA. FIFA. That, that mm -hmm. was the EACC Champions Cup Spring. Wow. In 2018, we actually won first place. Uh, Congrats. Yeah, so that was huge for Singapore, right? Mm -hmm. And I think after that achievement, I think there was quite a lot of attention, firstly on the mainstream media. That, right. that obviously got the awareness of uh, certain people. Yeah, key st stakeholders. Key yeah. stakeholders, mm -hmm. that's right. Um, and, you know, um, shortly after we started engaging Sports Hub, because right. we were looking for we were looking for a training facility here in Singapore. So you engaged Sports Hub before you won the game at FIFA. Uh, actually, it was after. After ah, okay, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah. after you win, then you start engaging Sports Hub. Yeah. All right. All right. Got it. It, it was part of our you know it was a natural step in our mm. partnership development. Mm. You know because when we look at the local ecosystem, we knew that um in order to make Singapore a bigger esports market. Yep. We couldn't do it alone. You know yep, it, it is it is a small market. You know, and it's not even about the size of the market as well. It's mm. also about the the standard of living, the mm. culture, everything. You know, in my press conference last Friday, I briefly mentioned uh, Denmark. Mm -hmm. you know, Denmark mm -hmm. has very similar population to Singapore, yep. but they've won twenty five million dollars in prize yes. money compared to Singapore, Singapore which has won three. Yeah, yes. around there. So, so you know, for me, that's a very good example to look at. You know, it's not just about the market size. It's about other things as well. Mm -hmm. Why is Denmark so successful at yep. esports compared to Singapore when we have the same number exactly, of people? Exactly, right? So what's, what's missing, right? Yeah. That's the question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a video, a great video that was released, I think, uh, a month ago. Mm -hmm. um, one of the 
one of the European esports media uh, outlets actually put up a video on the reason why Denmark esports is so successful. Right. You know, I watched that video briefly and, you know, to me, a few factors, right? And I look at Singapore, a few things that um, I wouldn't say are hindering mm -hmm. the esports development here in our country, but sort of like things that we need to look at mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. we move forward. Uh, firstly, of course, national service. You know, I, I am a believer of national service. I went through my two years. I did my two years. You know, I was in a, I was in the military uh, unit you know, right. so I served my two years well. Uh, in fact, I just did a reservist cycle. So, oh, okay. So in Singapore, you actually get called back yes. every year as well. Mm -hmm. And for me, that is a big factor in terms of when you're looking at to develop talents in esports, because the years that you're looking at is actually the prime time years. Yes. Right. It's when you're 18, 19 and you get conscripted. Yes. And then you have two years that you have to go and serve. Yeah. Right. And it is a big factor because a lot of the other countries, which I'd say they are good at esports, you know, uh, military service is, I think, optional. Optional. Mostly, mm. yeah. Mm. So, national service is one. Uh, standard of living as well, I guess. Right. Yeah, because Singapore is a very expensive country. Yes. Yeah. Ranked number two, at least. <laughs> <laughs> so, that is a factor as well. It's not easy to actually have a full-time professional gamer. Right. Yeah, that is also something that, you know, has been difficult in developing um, full-time esports e talents. Exactly. Right. So, let's talk about that one by one. First was national service. Sure. Uh, I've been hearing a lot about that as well. Like, it's not just in esports. Like, esports is on the fringes for now. <laughs> like, there's also big cases happening nationally. Oh yeah, like, within like, you know the cases, right? Yeah. But I don't see it as a problem. Sure. So let's not try to frame it that way. Like, you know, it's a problem that needs to be fixed. Yeah. But yeah. let's try to find a way. Like, how can athletes or aspiring esports athletes work around that? Because Obviously, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Right? Yep. But So, what's the best strategy that you would recommend for aspiring athletes to mm -hmm. work around that? Um, I think when it comes to national service, like I mm -hmm. said, you know, I'm a big advocate of national service. Um, I think, you know, as an esports athlete, if you want to compete professionally, mm -hmm. to be honest, like those two years uh, when you're serving, it's really difficult because not just about training, mm. you, you would have to get special permission right. to leave your units for competitions, mm. yeah, local and, mm. and overseas. So it really is a key factor, but I don't want to frame it as a problem, like you said, right? It's something that it's going to be here. You know, we have to find ways to work around this. Yep. Yeah, and to me, it's about finding um, a roadmap in terms of how can we continue to develop the athletes even whilst they're in, they in national service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even while they're serving just in the context of Singapore. Sure. Right? So it's not going to be easy. Uh, I think it will take time, but maybe there could be certain um, areas where we could look at, right. where we could still develop the players while they're in national service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, But it's a long-term uh, yeah. long term game out of course. for this. Yeah. All right. So the second thing is the standard of living, of course. Yeah. So uh, combining that factor with the first factor, sure. it's been pushing Singapore teams to expand overseas to the neighboring countries <laughs> like yeah. with yourself with yeah. team flesh you have how many teams now uh right now we have total of five rosters five, five yeah. rosters yeah two in vietnam three in singapore three in singapore oh you don't actually have one in indonesia maybe soon maybe soon okay <laughs> that's juicy we're gonna have to talk about that but okay so yeah standard of living national service and a few other factors i'm sure have been pushing you to develop teams outside of uh, Singapore, yep. right? And you've been flying in the uh, in the region to different countries. So I was interested to ask you, have you learned something from flying to different countries? Because obviously mm -hmm. there's differences, like uh, th there's nuances. There's a different way you play here in Singapore. There's a different way you play in Vietnam, Indonesia. Yeah. Have you learned something that's kind of useful for you as a team owner that you know you can use to better develop your team team flash your brand yep. or in other any other ways so most recently i was in jakarta for mm. a, a few days okay. almost i think three to four days and we met a lot of stakeholders uh, in the indonesia esports ecosystem mm. i think one very interesting meeting that i had was with the iel IEL, yeah, right. Yeah. The one that's uh, organizing the university series, right? That's the one. Right. Yeah. So I thought the concept that they had and, you know, the work that they've done up to this point mm -hmm. uh, was, was really great. You know, they've engaged 12 universities. Yes. Across Jakarta, across Indonesia. Indonesia, actually. yes. Yeah, across Indonesia. And, you know, I thought that was a really great um, case study for us to take right, back to Singapore. Right. You know, how they've successfully yeah. implemented esports on a 
college collegiate level, level yes. collegiate level exactly and and you know there are a few things that stood out for me mm-hmm. I think firstly you know um obviously in Singapore we've also engaged a couple of schools as well right mm-hmm. you know we've given talks you know there are talks to also host uh, more events mm-hmm. like tournaments mm-hmm. on a school level um an interesting thing that IEL did was you know to introduce a minimum curriculum great right before you could actually be allowed to compete ah I see yeah. so it's not just you know anyone can join no. you actually have <laughs> to pass a certain grade exactly. level yeah. right and I heard the grade is quite high as well right <laughs> yeah because gamers are smart man yeah. like we, we, we are known to be smart because you know all those pressing keys might not seem like something from the outside view but yeah. it's actually doing stuff that's requiring a lot of mental horsepower yeah so yeah in my opinion a lot of knowledge sharing needed at this stage mm-hmm. you know to really learn um to see what works what doesn't work right. and a bit of uh, testing as well mm-hmm. you know proof of concept yep yeah really putting something out there mm-hmm. and then seeing what catches on you know especially in singapore where you know uh, generally singaporeans i would say uh it takes quite a bit to get them out of their houses mm. <laughs> to be honest that's the truth of our culture right right and, yeah and i think if you want to organize events you know not just for esports <laughs> for any event i'm talking about anything like right. even traditional sports also has mm. has uh, their own um challenges challenges yes. exactly and you know i'm i'm looking at this whole ecosystem how can we further add value as a team right right because mm-hmm. to me if i'm wearing my team owner hat you know it's very simple you know i take my athletes i make sure they win the championships yep. i brand them i market them you know i bring in the sponsorships i bring the media deals and that's the end of my job right but like I said, you know, we're on a mission to solve a bigger social problem. Social problem, yeah. Yeah, because mm. I do see that, you know, gaming, you know, it's it's an unfair perception that, you know, gaming has always been seen as mm. a fringe, wasteful activity. Right. You know, but I think through esports, that's where it really legitimizes the gamers. Yes. That's why our vision our statement is actually making gamers heroes. Making gamers heroes. Yeah, I yeah. saw that tagline in the, the sports hub facility, right? That's really great. I mean, <laughs> so you're not just... <clears throat> Obviously, you have your team owner hat, yeah. But you're sort of taking another role, I would say, like in in furthering the esports industry, be yeah. it in Singapore or in the region more generally. So that's really interesting because, in my mind, I would assume that as a team owner, your interest would be your team. Like yeah. You want to promote your team. You want your team to be the best, right? Yeah. But now there's an interesting. Uh, intersection between uh, uh, your team owner hat and your uh, uh, more cultural hat, I would say, sure. is that how do you balance that mm. competition? Because obviously you have rivals, right? <laughs> and promoting esports in general would require you to support them as well. Yeah. Right. So how do you balance this? You know, seemingly opposite objectives that you have. Is there a conflict in you when you think about these two things together? I think we try and approach it from a from an objective point of view. Mm. So you know, uh, personally for me, I'm really looking towards developing the grassroots. Right. Yeah. So to me, the grassroots are the schools. You know, okay. and, and you know, I've gone to the schools. I've given talks to uh, 300, 400 students. Wow. At one go in a hall, and you know, the kind of passion and engagement they have really yes. uh, gives me the conviction that you know we have to do more. Mm. You know, it's not just about catering to the professional yep. level. Especially when I look at these kids and they're asking, yeah. how can I be involved how, in how, esports? How do we you know? become a pro, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, of of course everybody wants to be a pro. Sure. At the end of the day, you know, less than two percent, three percent, you know, the attrition rate is <laughs> yes. very high. You yes. know. Especially for any talent based industry like uh, sports yes. or esports. So so for us we're looking to really create an ecosystem mm-hmm. where, you know, someone who wants to have a career in esports can thrive. You know, even on the back end as well. Right. Because if you look at the back end, there are actually more roles that need to be filled. Yes. Yeah, we actually need more people, mm-hmm. whether it's production, whether it's marketing, uh, even business development. Right. It's the same with any other business. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, so we so, really want to develop that side of mm, the ecosystem mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah th- that's one of the th- key things that we've been uh, observing doing this podcast for the past 10 weeks yeah. is that uh, a lot of the guests have shared that they don't see the uh, uh, ecosystem as just people who are aspiring to be pro players. Yeah, There's a lot more happening behind the scenes. Yeah. For example, are you following Counter-Strike? Yeah, I know. I saw, I saw your, uh, you liked a post by IEM, right? <laughs> Which is uh, the, the major Counter-Strike tournament. Yeah. So just within that 
one event. Sure. There's a lot of things happening. And I'm sure you 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 are familiar with what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you can share with us what you think about the ecosystem that's existing right now in esports. Like, what are the different things that people can do if they're interested in uh, uh, esports, aside from uh, being a player themselves? Because obviously, you know a lot about that, but there are a lot of things that's happening uh, behind the team. Yeah, like Team Flash. Yeah, right. So maybe start with Team Flash. Like, what are the roles that you have within the team that sure. maybe you can share with everyone? Sure. I think when I started this team uh, with my co-founder, mm. really we were looking at the entire organization chart. You know, what kind of departments do we have? Right. Who we wanted to fill those departments with? Right. Yeah. And then when we went to Vietnam, like I mentioned, the first thing we did was we looked for the back end first, the not, back end. not mm. the front end. Mm. Yeah. Of course, the players are very important because at the end of the day, they are the brand ambassadors. You know, they represent the team. The fans are cheering for them. You know, but behind the scenes, for them to be Mm well-known, to be well-marketed, it requires uh, a team effort. Yeah, so in Vietnam, for example, we have uh, three full-time staff. You know, they're all, you know, very talented in video production content. uh, You know, and we are actually providing a real job opportunity for these people, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know. And for us, you know, um, looking again at the entire ecosystem, there's again a lot of roles, you know. Mm-hmm. We, we, we've we hired, um, we recently filled a key position in our leadership team as well. Right. You know, you know, on the marketing side. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of roles to be filled and, you know, it'll take time to fill all the roles, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a gradual process. Yep. But we are on that road to really provide um, real job opportunities. Right. For, for people who want to have a career in esports, yes. you know, and do what they're passionate mm-hmm. in. I guess something else to mention as well is the content creator track. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So obviously Ninja is the best example. Oh yeah, he's out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, last year he made 10 million. 10 million. Yeah. As a gamer, doing games exactly. for people to watch. Exactly. That's crazy. He's yeah. not even a full-fledged esports athlete. Nope. You know, he's actually a content creator. Yep. And he makes a huge living off that. So for us, that part of the ecosystem is also something that we need to push mm. across Southeast Asia. Because mm-hmm. personally, I feel that there's a lot of potential that's untapped there, and yep. there are actually a lot of um, there are a lot of talent, um, young talent that actually want to go that track as well. Yeah, you know, because potentially they can't compete. But then, what's the next logical step? Mm-hmm. You know, is to actually become a live streamer potentially, right? And mm-hmm. then work on really promoting yourself to a wider audience, not just within your country, yep. but becoming an international brand. Mm-hmm. And then that's when the opportunity for sponsorships open up as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's 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 amazing to hear, right? I mean, 10 years ago, we wouldn't think that esports could be a viable option for a career. But now esports is opening job opportunities everywhere, right? And like yourself with Team Flesh, you're opening job opportunities in Vietnam and soon maybe in Indonesia and of course in Singapore. So, again, the the question is back to that, uh, uh, you know, choosing the right people. Because that's a challenge, right? Oh, yeah. Like <laughs> For any <you're>, business. <laughs> for any businesses, yes. But especially for esports is this. Like, esports has been around for quite some time. And usually when you see job openings in the other mm-hmm. industries, there's going to be that line of requirement, like, you know, 10 years experience. Sure. How do you have that in esports? Because it's <laughs> practically a baby, the industry is, right? So when you look for talent to fill the roles you have in your team specifically or in general, what do you think is the requirement that would make sense? Because, you know, putting their 10 years of experience in esports, <laughs> there's only going to be a handful of people who have that. Yeah, right. it's a handful. But for those who are new into the industry, uh, you couldn't be looking at their past experience. Mm. So if you can't do that, what can you look at when you want to choose people to be part of your team? I think it varies from um, different levels of the organization. Sure. Right. If I'm looking at the C-suite team, mm-hmm. the leadership team, um, let's take G2 Esports, for example. Right. right? They recently raised uh, 17, $17 million. million. Dollars. <laughs> yeah, huge, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, the founder of the team is actually Ocelot. Ocelot, yeah. Who used to be an ex-professional gamer mm-hmm. in League of Legends. Mm-hmm. And then he started to build out his leadership team. Really interesting that, you know, the last key hire they had was, I think, uh, ex-executive with Adidas. Right. So that guy, I don't think, came from the esports community per se. So it's from the outside. Exactly. Like, yeah, from like not even in esports. <laughs> okay. From mainstream industries. But I think the challenge with that is that if you bring someone mm. in and they're not 
from the industry. From the industry. They don't really understand what makes it truly yeah. special. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we tried to hire outside of the industry right. as well. We did do that and it didn't really work out. Right. I'll be transparent and I'll say that. So it is a big challenge to bring people outside into the industry. It is. Right. But but I think as the industry starts to professionalize right. and given time, I think um, there will be more of this um, mainstream mm-hmm. talent that mm-hmm. will join this space, you know. Okay. And they might know esports from a level of like, you know, being very interested in the ecosystem, mm-hmm. you know, going to events, attending right. events, knowing right. more about the back end. Right. Yeah, but over time with more opportunities, more exposure, I think we'll attract more talent as well mm. that's more diverse. Yes. Right? But at this stage, I do agree, you know, to a certain level, you have to hire people who have that natural passion mm. and inclination towards towards esports. I see. So really people that come from the community or have worked with uh, esports related companies like Garena, Garena, yep. uh, ESL, mm. Uh, Riot Games. Mm-hmm. There's so many examples, yeah. right? Yeah. So usually, if you know, I'm evaluating someone for a marketing position, I'll look at the portfolio, right? And I'll see, you know, oh wow, he has experience at an esports company, but mm-hmm. he's also done some interesting stuff, maybe in a mainstream company, right? And that's quite interesting for me because mm. it means he has he might have a more um, diverse mindset in terms right. of how he would, yeah, because then value. he'll be able to bring the differences of the industries and put them together in a way that's gonna bring you know, value into esports that we might not uh, think of, yeah. right? Because we are in this industry. So we've been, you know, we've we've set ourselves in this cage, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we can see the industry very well, but we don't know what we can add on when we have the perspective from the outside industry. Yeah. Right. So that's really interesting, right? So uh, balancing people outside and people inside. Yeah, I think right. maybe the closest uh, relevant industry as well, maybe sports, sports. and media. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. these two industries, uh, they're probably the closest in terms of what esports is in terms mm-hmm. of similar parts of the ecosystem. Yep. And so if we look for talent, it does make sense, for example, to look for someone from, let's say, the NBA. Right. You know, to join an esports league, for example. Yep. I think, yep. I can't remember, I read a couple of news. It was on LinkedIn or so. I, I know. Yeah, there I, was an NBA executive joining an yeah. esports organization. I believe so, so yeah. yeah. So there are more uh, examples of um, top-level talent mm-hmm. at the C-suite level, mm-hmm. you know, joining an esports organization, you know, whether it's a team or a league. Yeah, so right. I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, and I think, I think in Southeast Asia, teams are still actually hiring for uh, people within the community. Right. Which I think is great. You've got to keep giving a chance to True. people who want to do that. But mm-hmm. uh, at the same time, to really bring esports to a new level, you need those talents well yep. from the other side. Yes. So yeah, that's talking about people who are experienced and are hired for C-suit uh, levels, right? Yeah. So let's say... I'm a ordinary person. Okay. Like I play games <laughs> for fun. I play Mobile Legends, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And I want to get involved in esports, okay. right? Yeah. I'm passionate, obviously, but I have not experienced any uh, managerial roles, like mm. in a mainstream industry or even in esports. Mm. How 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 would you uh, uh, advise this person? Advise me. Sure. How can I break into esports? I think firstly to be clear about you know your your skill set mm-hmm. you know do you like writing do you right. like streaming do you like production work mm. do you like graphic design right so many different skill sets right that mm-hmm. might be mm-hmm. relevant to our space okay yeah so first is to understand your skill set right uh secondly I think is to get yourself noticed mm. you know obviously again the bigger organizations that I think are hiring quite daily right you know the ones that I mentioned Garina ESL they all have offices here within yep. this region. Yep. Yeah, so they would be more, um, they would be the nearest examples of organizations mm. that I would look at in terms of getting a full-time position. Okay. Yeah, to be honest, most teams in our region, I would say only a handful, right. are probably equipped to hire on a daily basis. Right. Or at least a quarterly basis, mm. depending on which positions, which departments. So so I do think it is um, something that will continue to, to grow in terms of opportunities. Right. Yeah, but it'll take time again. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think really to be aware of your skill set and find ways to put yourself out okay. there. Yeah. So it seems to me that the best way to break into esports is if you can produce content. Do you sure. agree with that? In a way, yes, because if you can produce content, it helps you to get noticed easier. Right. Right. And based on that, certain marketing principles, if you know how to do basic SEO, SEM, mm-hmm. digital mm-hmm. marketing, yep. 
getting your content noticed and mm-hmm. then people, you know, someone from Riot might just look, oh, this guy has pretty nice content, mm-hmm. you know, let's reach mm-hmm. out to him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's always happened. But the fact that you put yourself out there, it's nothing it's gonna to get, lose. It's going to increase your chances exactly. of getting noticed. It's not, nothing to lose. And if right. you're truly passionate about this space, that's mm-hmm. the amount of late work you need to do at the yeah. start. You know, yep. I was in the esports scene in 2006. I was getting paid, I think, $50 an article. Wow. Yeah. So to live here in Singapore. That's not <laughs> yeah, so you know yeah. the the challenges yes. and you know it's come full circle. Ten mm-hmm. years later, we're in two thousand nineteen. Mm-hmm. Thirteen years later to be exact. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a team owner, but at the same time the challenge now is to provide that opportunity for right. a lot more. So yeah, it went full circle, like you said, right? So it's important for people to realize if they want to be involved in esports, yeah. you have to put in the legwork. You yeah. have to lay the foundation and you have to eat, you know, eat, bite the towel <laughs> while you're going through it, right? Sure, because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it has not been the most smooth journey for you yeah. or for any other people who is involved in the scene, right? Mm. So how would you advise people? For example, let's say we, I want to start a team, Right. And of course, there are a few titles in esports that's really big here in Southeast Asia. Sure. And the access to those games is getting much cheaper, much easier. Yep. But of course, there's still a challenge when it comes to putting together the right uh, people and building an organization. Right? Sure. So if I, I tell to you, uh, I tell you, Terrence, hey, Terrence, I want to build a team. Where should I start? Good question. Um, within Southeast Asia, right? Yeah. With respect to within you. Southeast Asia. Uh, I mean, if you look at Southeast Asia today as a whole, I would say, you know, if I categorize it into maybe three different levels. Okay. Right. The first level would be the um, tier one market. Mm. So I would say Indonesia and Thailand. All right. These two markets are growing incredibly fast and mm-hmm. not just in terms of the fan base, the market size, but also the commercial as well which is, you know, something that is not happening in certain parts of the region yet. Right. Yeah. So the commercial, the monetization is key as well. Okay. Because ultimately you are running a business. Yeah. You need R- money. Yeah. Running a team is running a business. It's not True. just running a team. Right. So you really got to look hard at your business model. Mm-hmm. How you are going to make revenue? Uh, how are you going to make up that amount of investment? Whether it's sustainable, mm-hmm. you know, do you have to raise money, you know? For, right. You know, for us, we are bootstrapped. So I see. Yeah, we do have our own funding from our leadership team. Mm. You know, that all really believes in what we're trying to do. So really, it's about looking first at the local markets within Southeast Asia, which are the best markets to go right. into. And even within those local markets, you got to really know which are the top esport titles mm. and what's up and coming. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Can I just talk about that yeah, a bit? Sure. So in Indonesia, the biggest title right now is Mobile <laughs> Legends, right? And it's actually receiving a lot of hate from the uh, PC players, for example. Okay. Because uh, I'm sure you know of this Piala President, like <laughs> the course. Presidential Cup, you know it, right? Know. And the game they announced was Mobile Legends. <laughs> and so I saw a post on Instagram about you know all this uh, uh, advertising of the cup, and I saw the comments on there, and they're all saying, why not this game? Why not that game? Why not my game? Because yeah. that's that's what people want to see, right? If I play Counter-Strike, I want the presidential cup to be in Counter-Strike, sure. right? But I, I realize that they don't see it the way we do because we as the uh, we, we are trying to build the community and the industry, right? So when we see the presidential cup featuring Mobile Legends, it makes sense because that is the popular title, yeah. at, at least at that time, right? So how do you convince these people to see it the way we do? Because mm. it's very, very challenging for us because we need the support of the people, right? Yeah. But then they don't see it the way we do in the sense that we need the title to be this popular title for now so that at least we can have a smooth entry. More people will be joining. You know, it makes sense for businesses to invest because it's the most popular title with the most eyeballs, right? Sure. So, how do you convince them? Okay. okay. Um, I agree with you. You know, Mobile Legends is the natural choice when it comes mm. to Indonesia. Huge, 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 huge. Huge. <laughs> yeah. No huge. other word to say. You know, I had some. I had a look at last season, the finals of MPL right. uh, season two. Season two, I believe. Yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Insane. I've never seen it in any other country in South right. Asia in terms of an esports competition. Wow. The closest probably would be Vietnam in terms of scale. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think you can't make everyone happy. 
that's the sad truth. You know, yep. the esports community is very passionate. Yes. You know, that's a good and bad thing. <laughs> it is. Because passionate and, you know, it can spill over into the other word, which is popular in esports, that is toxic. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Passion and toxic. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's all about authenticity. Mm. You know, like really, if you pick a title, you know, of course, you've got to justify why that title is right. the chosen title, yep. especially for events as prestigious as this. Yes. You know, it makes natural sense to us from the from where we are. Mm -hmm. You know, but as a fan, if I'm very passionate about a game and then my game is not there, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't blame them, you know. Yeah. I, if I was... We have so many titles. Yeah. Right? We have five titles. You know, some organizations like Cloud9, they have 14 teams. Yes. Right? It's crazy, Cloud9, yeah. yeah. And, you know, if it's a title in the competing, in the same genre, but that's competing, and that title was included, you know, even yeah. for me as a team owner, I will also ask myself, is my investment justified? Exactly. Yeah, and, yes. that, and that is not an easy question. Mm. It's not an easy, um, there's no easy solution to it yep. as well. Because there are many factors why True. a game is chosen. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just the publisher. Sure. You know, there are many reasons. Okay. Mm. So yeah, that's about choosing the right title, right? So yeah. you mentioned tier one markets, Indonesia and Thailand, and sure. monetization as a yeah. uh, factor. And overall of course, growth. Choosing yeah. Overall growth. I'll so what, what, are, what other factors are there if you want to consider building a team from scratch? To be honest, I think in 2019, mm. I think it's starting to get a bit, um, the barrier, barrier to entry is a bit higher now. It's really, no, it's no longer as easy to start oh, up a team. That's now. interesting. Yeah. What 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 makes you say that? I think firstly, if you look at the top leagues in, for example, Thailand. Mm. So Thailand, the biggest esports league there right now is the ROV League. That, okay. That is in season three. Right. Yeah. So what game is that? Uh, that's for AOV. AOV. Yeah, but the localized version of it is uh ROV. Ah. Uh, yeah. yeah it, it has different names in different countries. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. So if you look at the league itself, the teams that are in the league, mm -hmm. so you have teams that are being backed by media companies. Wow. Yeah. So a big media company that's backed one of the teams, for example, is uh, Workpoint. Okay. It's a Thailand media conglomerate, I believe. Okay. Yeah. And then another team is being backed by, for example, Kantana. So Kantana right. is a is a media company that's been around since 1950. <sighs> Not a lot of people know all these things. Yeah, Damn. But, but yeah, that's how developed the space, the space is right in now. Thailand. Yeah. Right, right. So if you want to start up a team, it's not easy right now. Okay. I would say. Okay. Yeah, the is it because is, is it because now the big brands have noticed esports, but they are now invested more heavily into it. So mm. it's harder for newer teams to convince them, hey, invest in us instead. Is that is that the case? That's part of it, yeah. Right. I mean if you look at the business model for esports in general, mm. it's very sponsorship driven. Yes. Yeah, which is good and bad again. Oh. Right? It it means that the business model right now is a bit one-dimensional. Right. Right. You know, that means that if you're not as popular as Team A, Team B, <laughs> you know, you're the eight team in the league, yes. it's likely that you'll get the least value in terms of sponsorship right. as well. And right. that also affects how much you can invest True. back into the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's definitely not easy right now right. to start up a team right. in 2019. 2019. Yeah. All right. So sponsorship, uh, you mentioned it's a bit harder for us to start a new team in terms of getting sponsors to notice us, right? But the trend is very positive, right? Like everybody is investing funds into esports, like big brands, non-endemic brands, like Indonesia, for example, Indofood <laughs> is like the sponsor of two teams in, in Mobile Legends, right? Yeah. Uh, and my guess is smaller brands are gonna start to follow this trend. Like hopefully more brands will be uh, interested in esports. Uh, they'll start to see the value in investing in esports. And so they'll be looking at the smaller teams, sure. like the local teams who are not as prominent as those top tier teams, right? Yeah. So maybe I, I, I want to pick your brain about this. Like when you're approaching a sponsor, what do you say? <laughs> <laughs> I like, hi, I have a team. Yeah. Like, how, how does the process look like? And what is it that, you know, is supposed to be included in the terms? Sure. Um, I think, you know, the first meeting is always about educating. Mm. It really is. That's that's important, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, obviously they, they might not know it as good as we do yet. Yeah. Unless it's an endemic brand like, let's say, Razer, yep. Logitech, you know, who, are, who is one of the key uh, partners of our team as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, those brands are very familiar with the esports space. Yep. So you wouldn't have to do... Uh, All the education. Yeah. Right. And But with the non-endemic brands, for mm. example, Mountain Dew here, you know. Yeah. You know, they're actually a partner of our facility at Sports Hub as well. Right, yes. Yeah, so so we actually uh, took some time as well to speak I to them. I see. Yeah, it wasn't like an overnight team. Hey, do you guys want to sponsor <laughs> esports, yes. you know? 
Yeah, so it's not easy. You know, the first part is always education, making okay. sure they're comfortable with the space, making mm. sure they understand what mm. esports really is. Mm. You know, some of them look at it as e-gamers. Yeah. I hate that. I hate that term. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. <laughs> like all these different terms like e-games, V-games, like virtual games. <laughs> oh my goodness, guys. It's esports. Yeah. With a capital E or a small E. Great. I'm no glad you spell. mentioned that as well. <laughs> yeah, so I mean... It's, uh, it's Associated Press. Uh, so, uh, AP, yeah. Yeah, AP, yeah. Associated yeah. Press. Yeah. Confirmed. Thank yeah, you. They did. And, you know, Mountain Dew was one of the brands, you know, and, you know, after the education phase, it's about really going down to the entitlements, what I call the right. sponsorship entitlements. Okay. So in sports, usually, you know, if you're giving a jersey on a, a logo on a jersey, mm-hmm. you know, that's worth something. Yes. And then you're going on to other entitlements. You know, is it digital content? Right. Is it creating an episodic series? Mm. For example, uh, Logitech presents XXX. Right, right, right. Yeah, and then you sell that content. So it's a mixture of a few things. And you can afford to be creative as well when mm. it comes to, to, to sponsorship. You know, because honestly, there is no golden rule that says, oh, sure. you can only have the logo here, you can only do this, you can only do that. You know, it's really about being creative, mm-hmm. offering a lot of value at this stage, you know, because um, there's still a lot of, um, there's not a lot of guidelines, I would say. Right. In terms of how would you uh, approach a sponsor. Yeah. So every team, every organization has their own sponsorship kit. Mm-hmm. You know, the way they pitch to sponsors. Yeah. Everybody has different ways, different right? Different ways, yes. Yeah. Ultimately, and, and it comes down to the to the reach of the product as well. Right. So if your team, you know, what's the overall people you can reach, let's say with one Facebook post. Mm-hmm. And then that's more on the advertising um, mechanics that you're mm-hmm. looking at. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So obviously, there's a big room for creativity right now because esports is at this nascent uh, stage. Yeah. And so we can try different things. So people can try a lot of different ways to incorporate sponsors or whatever. So that's really interesting to see. So thank you for sharing. So yeah, we've talked about uh, uh, recruiting players. We've talked about starting your own team. We talked about sponsorships. Maybe we can take a step back and talk about yourself, Terrence. Like, okay. <laughs> what What is your vision for 2019 and mm. beyond? Because obviously you're invested in the space, yeah. right? But maybe around it, what is it that you're hoping for to see in the next year or so? I think firstly, there's been a lot of interest from the capital market. So, right. you know, the venture capital funds. Yeah, uh, lots, lots, lots of those people are actually trying to get into it as well, right? Yeah, mm. and they're thinking about where's my best bet if I was mm. going to put in 3 million, 4 million. Right. You know, what kind of property would I invest in? Mm-hmm. would it be a team would it be a publisher mm-hmm. slash developer you know there are many ways to play this game yep right game, game. yeah <laughs> yeah pun so, intended yeah so I, th- I guess what i'm hoping for this year is to see uh more investment mm. pour into the scene in southeast asia okay you know to further um bring up the the, the, the playing field okay in terms of where we are um compared to the us and right. europe even china korea i would right i would reference them um you know, and I think there really is uh, quite a few uh, investment rounds going on in right. esports, right? Whether it's teams and stuff. So so I think that the capital will come in. Um, okay. It will help to really professionalize further the, the scene as well in terms of where the investment is spread, you know? Um, besides investment, I guess, it's also to look at franchise leagues. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Yeah. In Overwatch and League of Legends, mm-hmm. that's what's been very big for them because yep. that that's really putting it on the same level as a as a traditional sport yep. franchising people can you know buy spots yeah but it's more of an investment for them right yeah. so maybe you can share a bit like your thoughts about franchising what what, what is it like is it going to work because some <laughs> people some people are actually pessimistic when it comes to franchising yeah i mean to be honest it's a bit like if, if you go in too early, you create this league and then you get all the teams to invest and mm-hmm. then the league doesn't go well and then, you know, the team suffer as well. Yeah. And then the whole scene uh, regresses yes. as a result. Yes. So for me, timing is key. Right. And the way you the, the way you enter the market, the way you build the league and the way the teams and the publisher come in together as well. Right. You know, in Southeast Asia, there hasn't really been a, a true franchise league, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's the nationals in the Philippines. Yep. There was IESPL in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. You know those. But it's leagues. fragmented, right? Yeah. It's all very local. It's very localized. Mm-hmm. That is a challenge as well because right. usually for franchise league, you will at least look towards a regional. Region, yes. Yeah, Overwatch League, 
the LEC. Yeah, LEC with yeah. Uh, uh, what's the other one? The North American one. Uh, NALCS. L- yes. Yeah. So there are many good examples uh, across the globe. Mm-hmm. Southeast Asia, unfortunately, there's no really uh, true franchise league right. at this point. Okay. Uh, I know there are plans for some interesting leagues coming up later this can year. You, can you share? Uh, it's a bit tough. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I signed, I signed <laughs> some documents, so I can't really sure, share. Sure. Yeah, but it's okay. I, I think you'll hear something in the next three months or so. Right. Yeah, it's coming up very soon. Um, personally, as a team owner, you know, we're really looking into whether it's investable, mm. yeah, whether it makes sense uh, yep. on the business side. Obviously, we want to be in the top leagues in this region, you know, and that means that we will be interested in having a spot. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, that also means raising money. Right. If it was a franchise league spot, um, even though it won't be the amount of an Overwatch league spot. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, that's gone up to, I think, 40, 60 for, million. <sighs> yeah. The first season, it Damn. was 20. 20, yeah. Now it's like triple. Yeah. Damn. But okay. that tells a story as well. Yes. Right, the fact that yes. the, the the value of the slots have increased, mm. teams are willing to pay for it. Yeah, that's a bigger sign as well mm. that the league is doing well. You know, yep. uh, but uh, someone told me, you know, that you know, um, the teams actually are doing well in terms of returns. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because most of the comments I see are about viewership. Yeah, like when when you talk about the Overwatch League. Yeah. the main concern by the people. Yeah, when when I say the people, it's like you know people on Reddit, Instagram, or whoever's you know, having a voice in social media. Yeah. They talk about viewership. They're concerned about the numbers when it comes to Overwatch League. Mm. Is that a concern? I think I think Overwatch as a whole, since we're on the topic of Overwatch, yep. you know, the game itself is, uh, the spectator value of the game is debatable. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's not very esports. <laughs> it's very new. hard to watch. It, especially for myself, like I don't play Overwatch. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Like, so that's that's a factor. That definitely is a factor in terms of determining its success as uh esport. Right. Right. Um going further though, I think they've done very well on the commercial mm. front. You know, deals with HP. Yep. Um I think ESPN as well signed the yeah, media yeah, yeah. right mm-hmm, deal, mm-hmm. media rights deal. So so I know the link is doing pretty well in terms of revenue. Right. Yeah, but the future again remains to be seen. Remains to be seen. Yeah. I see. It's very hard to grow to a level of like okay. the English Premier League. Mm. You know That's the, a different game. It's a different game where the right. TV money is like in yes. the hundreds of millions. Right. right? That's insane. insane you yes. Know? And is. Mark, Mark is very well acquainted with this game yes. as well. And hopefully we're going to see that happen to esports in the near future. Because that's yeah. when we know that the industry is happening. Yeah. Right. Especially I think the challenge in this region is mm. if you're creating a franchise league for yep. one market and then um, if you're looking at that market uh, on its own and you're trying to create that league and if the game is not international yet. Right. That means the commercial value will also be quite it's a limited. bit lower. Yeah, it will be mm. limited to that market. to the region. Yeah, at most, right? Yeah. yeah okay. Exactly. Okay. So, what do we need to do as a collective uh, esports community in the Southeast Asian region specifically? What can we do together to push this forward further and faster? Yeah, uh, I think the team owners in particular have to have a good relationship. Right. Yeah. Like I have, I maintain a good relationship with my fellow team owners. So for us, it's really about uh, collaborating, mm-hmm. and we do have to really pull together, especially right. when it comes to uh, like a franchise league. Yep. Because for us, it's really about having a dialogue with the publisher. Yep. Making sure that the league is uh, well run. Run well, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and commercially makes sense for all the teams that are investing, and and I think for us, we we are very invested into making sure that this grows. Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of questions to consider, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, maintaining good relationships, you know, for me personally, integrity is important as right. well. Yeah, making sure that, you know, we uphold our word, mm. whatever we say we're going to do. So, so for us, we really preach on that and yeah, the leaks, I, you know, it's, it's a matter of time a franchise league will come. Yes, yeah, definitely. It's a matter of time, but it's just uh, what format what kind of investment mm. we're looking at, is mm. it sustainable? All these key questions need to be answered. Everybody's interested. Of course. Yeah. But yeah, there are questions that remain to be answered yeah. and it's great to hear that you are actually in a good, you know, uh, position when it comes to other team owners. Because uh, I was hoping to invite Ivan uh, <laughs> to the podcast as well. We agreed, but of course, he's as busy as you. <laughs> so it's been a challenge for us to set a timing. Yeah, yeah. But hopefully when he comes on the show, he'll share his side. And I was hoping maybe one day we can put you guys on together, right? Oh, sure. Then we can yeah. have a conversation on that <laughs> note. Yeah. So that'll be exciting to see. But... Thank you so much, Terence. This you, has man. been a superb episode. Uh, I, I I learned a lot today, and <laughs> and and I'm hoping to see more out of Team Flash, and you know just expecting to see the scene grow 
uh, together with your team sure. and you as a person. So sure. maybe a last message to anyone out there, you know, listening to this, because you have a voice now. Yeah. Like, what do you want to say to the general public when it comes to esports? Um, you know, I'll just say, you know, it'll be great if uh, everybody just uh, comes together in your own way to mm. really support the esports industry, you know. Um, whether you're a fan, a mm-hmm. player, aspiring player, um, you know, there's many ways in which you can get involved or yep. support the scene, you know, even telling a friend yep. about esports, that's an additional one person yes. that knows about it. You know, that's big. Yeah, and that one person could go on Share to tell. To war. Exactly, yes. the viral effect, right? Yes. So I always believe, don't underestimate the potential and effect that you have, mm. you know, personally, no matter what position you're in, like, I think 13 years ago when I was in yes. the Singapore community, I never thought that I'll be a team owner today. Mm. Yeah, and, I, and I never thought esports would be what it is today. Right. You know, Who would have thought, right? Yeah. I mean, you always felt there was something special in our, in our space, but you could never really see um, that it would be what it is today, yeah. la, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Even 13 years ago. Yeah. That's yeah. great. And and one saying I really like is people always under uh, overestimate what you can do in a year but yep. they always underestimate what can be done in 10 years. <laughs> and that's really what's showing here in eSports, right? Yeah. So thank you again, Terence. That's Thanks, really Andy. great. Yeah. Uh, I'm really glad we had we had a chance to do this. Sure. Looking forward to more. Uh, last question, who do you want to see next on the show? Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great people in the eSports industry, even mm-hmm. based here in Singapore. Yeah. Um, Maybe a name you can think of <laughs> on the top of your head. There's a lot of people. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I mean, since you mentioned Ivan, you know, sure. he, he'll be a great person yep. to speak yep. to. You know, yep. I, think, I think that he deserves his uh, fair share of media spotlight. Yep. You know, he's done a very good job a with great uh, job, yes. Evos. You know, yes. not a lot of people have known about Evos until I think it was maybe late last year. Late last year, yeah. And people started to notice, wow. You know, yeah. res- it's a meteoric rise, right? Like Seriously. everybody suddenly talks about Evos. He went to the right markets, you know, mm. uh, Indonesia first making sure he really consolidated that market, right. established leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that part was a key for him himself. Yeah. Wow, that's great. We're going to have Ivan on the show next, hopefully. Mm, great. So uh, <laughs> we're going to talk. Sure, uh, sure. We're going to set a schedule with him. So thanks again, Terrence. Yeah. Uh, for you listening, thank you so much. Hope you learned a lot today as I did. Uh, support us in any way. Like Terrence said, don't underestimate your power to share this. Uh, share, like, subscribe. And of course, we have our Patreon page. You can visit us uh, on patreon.com slash esportsasia and support us in any way you can. With that, we'll end it here. Thank you, Terence. Sure. We'll see you again next uh, in the next episode. And thank you for tuning in. See you in the next one. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.